All right, as you know, we're in a series right now on our values, and uh, we have been talking over the last several weeks uh, about who we are as a church and where we're going and what is Westridge Church all about. Um, and it's been a, an, I think it's been a great series for all of us to really kind of get back to some of the basics, to look a little bit at, um, for some of you, why you came to this church in the first place and what it is you like about this church. And uh, for all of us, if you've been visiting this church, to get an idea about maybe, you know, why you might want to connect with this church. So it has been really a great series and a great series for me to, to, to preach. So I've truly enjoyed it. Years ago, when um, I was in my, my 20s and I was first getting into ministry, I, I committed myself to be a student of the value that we're going to talk about this morning. And so over the last uh, nearly 23 years, I have read countless books, I have listened to countless sermons, I have studied the scriptures over and over and over again on this particular topic, and um, i got to confess to you, I continue to be amazed at how much I feel like I still don't know and I still don't understand um, the topic of prayer. But here's what I do know the end of the day, um, I do know that God just simply wants me to pray. And I know that he wants you to pray as well. Jesus not only modeled prayer, but he asked his disciples over and over and over and over again to pray. And just in my own personal journey, I have watched God do some amazing things as a direct result of prayer. I have watched God change people's hearts as a direct result of prayer. I've watched him supply resources that, that weren't previously there as a result of people coming together and beginning to pray about just him supplying those resources. I have watched him meet needs uh, in people's lives during desperate times. I mean, we just saw a video a moment ago of the Irbys and how that God took what maybe seemed like a hopeless situation and miraculously turned it around because a group of people came together and just prayed. I've experienced his power doing some very low moments uh, in my life. And I'm going to tell you about some of those in just a moment. But I've, but I've experienced that power just because I just knew when I didn't know what else to do, I just knew to pray. And I've seen God do some miracles. I've watched him do miracles firsthand that can't be explained outside of the realm of just prayer. So even if I don't understand it all, even if I um, maybe even can't explain it all, I do know this, that the hand of God moves in a very powerful way when people pray. Um, Just a few moments ago uh, on this campus, I was walking up here and one of our guys came over and just gave me a hug. It was Dan Pervorce. And Dan's just returned back from uh, being in Burkina Faso, Africa for Uh, the last 10 days. He was leading a team from another church in Winston-Salem. Part of my responsibility uh, and my calling as it relates to to Burkina Faso, Africa, is to take pastors over there and to get them connected to what we're doing in Africa. And one of these pastors, who happens to be my brother-in-law, jumped on board with it, and he is now sending teams over. Well, Dan Pervorce from our church led this particular team. And we've been praying as we've been getting emails back and Skype messages back um, about the, just the countless uh, challenges that this team has been facing with flat tires and broken down vehicles and just things that are just, you know, you go, what in the world is this all about? And they were getting ready to go out into the bush to minister to the tribe of people that we 
we have targeted called the Pugli, and uh, they were going to go out and show the Jesus film to this group of folks. And they tried their projectors, and the projectors worked fine before they went out there. They went out onto the, to the field, into the bush, and all of a sudden the projector just went down. And we got this email back describing this whole scenario and they kept trying to fix it and messing with the generator and trying to, and finally they got around the projector, they laid hands on it, the whole team began to pray. And on the very first time when they turned the switch on after they prayed, the thing came on, showed the Jesus film and 12 poogly people trusted Jesus Christ to be their personal savior. Now, I have seen things like that happen on the mission field over and over and over again, and I've seen things like that happen here. And that is why one of our values here at Westridge Church is the fact that we embrace prayer. We are a church that prays, believing that prayer is the power source behind everything that happens in our ministry. And I truly believe that nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. Matter of fact, I read an article a few days ago where they were interviewing Billy Graham after he had just celebrated his 60th year in ministry. And Billy Graham said that nothing good, that there's nothing good has happened apart from prayer in his ministry. And uh, what, a, what a tremendous testimony of a man who has seen some absolutely miraculous things happen to just say that everything that has happened has happened as a result, everything good has happened as a result of prayer. Now in the book of Luke, and if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there in, in chapter 18, Jesus is beginning to teach the people, his disciples, about the importance of prayer. And uh, he begins to teach a parable, and it's called the parable of the persistent woman. And in verse 1, he tells the reason why he's going to lay out this parable. He says, he says he tells this parable to show his disciples that they should always pray and not give up. And then in verse 2, he said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversaries. Now, there are two main characters in this story. First, you've got this, this widow. And the reason why Jesus used a widow in the story was because in first century AD in Judea, a widow would have been at the very bottom of the social ladder. This was a woman who most likely was poor, she was unemployed, she was uneducated, and she was void of any status or any social clout. And so Jesus tells us that this woman is being harassed by someone who was just out to get her, an enemy, a town villain. Now, we're not told how this person was harassing her, but we can guess that he was either intimidating her physically or he was trying to take advantage of her in some way because he knew that she was powerless. And so here we got this villain who's causing problems for this widow who has no means of protecting herself, and she is in a desperate, hopeless situation. Now, she turns to the other main figure in this story, which was a local judge and she begins to plead her case to this local judge and Jesus tells us in this passage two things about this judge he tells us that he was a man who had no fear of God and he didn't care at all about people 
So basically, here's what you've got. You've got this judge who's kind of doing his, doing his own thing. He's making up his own form of justice with no regard to God, God's law or any regard to the welfare, welfare of just any common person. And you have this desperate widow who is being villainized by the local thug and her only recourse is to throw herself onto the mercy of the court, onto the mercy of this insensitive, reckless judge in hopes that somehow he will hear her case and that he will have mercy on her and that he will provide her some kind of protection. So she tells this judge, listen, just hear me out. Just listen to what I'm trying to say to you. I have absolutely nowhere to turn. I'm in this hopeless situation and you are my only hope. But look what it says in verse four. For some time he refused. He refused to help her. Now you can probably just hear this judge laughing at this woman. Probably just saying, listen, bailiff, just get this woman out of my court. She is driving me crazy. Put her out on the streets. But Jesus tells us that this woman is persistent. She keeps coming back. She keeps coming back. She keeps coming back over and over and over again, pleading her case because she knows that this judge is her only hope. He is her only option and she has absolutely nowhere to turn. And so she pesters him and she keeps coming back to him over and over and over again with the same problem. Now look in verse four, it says, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God, even though I don't care about men, yet because this woman keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she will eventually wear me out with her coming. Now, there's just certain places in scripture where you just have to laugh. And this is truly one of those moments you read it and you go, this is just kind of a humorous story that Jesus is telling because you can picture it in your mind. Well, what happens here? Well, her pestering finally begins to pay off. She wears the judge down into submission. She harasses him to the point where he basically says, I cannot take this woman any longer. She is wearing me out. I can't stand another moment of this woman's pestering. So I'm going to grant her, re- her request so that she will just get off of my back. Now, why is Jesus telling this story? Jesus, again, in verse one, he tells us, I am telling the story to you so that you will not stop praying, so that you will continue to pray and that you will not lose heart. You will not give up. Now, unfortunately, many people choose to read the story uh, they don't, I'm sorry, they don't, they choose not, not to read the rest of the story and they allow themselves to create a false interpretation of what this parable is all about. We try to put ourselves in the role of the widow that somehow or another, we are the penniless, powerless, no status, no connections widow, and that we are trapped in our problems. We are trapped in our troubles with no one to turn to. We are absolutely hopeless. And so we either give up And we never approach God because we think that somehow, you know, I mean, God doesn't really care. What's the use? I mean, he's going to do what he wants to anyways. I mean, he's going to basically just answer however he wants, or he's just up there kind of void and, and disconnected from us. So why should I even pray? Or we do what this widow did in our desperation. We think, you know what, because God really doesn't hear me or because he doesn't maybe even care, he's like the unjust judge then I'm just going to keep wearing him down. I'm just going to keep going to him over and over and over again until I pester him into a point of submission, until he is forced to help me. 
Because somehow in our minds, God is in the, in, is in this, uh, in, in, in the same way like this judge. He is up there just kind of doing his own thing. Ultimately, my needs are not even on his radar. He has got a universe to operate. He's got millions of angels to keep in harmony. He's got millions and millions of people in heaven to kind of oversee. And honestly, everything, and you know, we make this up, is, is kind of predestined, predetermined anyways. And so I'm just not going to waste my time with prayer. The problem is we're basing our assumptions on a false mindset concerning the purpose and the power of prayer. So look at how Jesus wraps the story up. Verse 6, he says, And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see to it that they get justice and that they get it quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And Jesus says, Listen, God is nothing like this unjust judge. And you are in no way like this widow. In fact, this is a story of opposites. It's just the opposite of what you might think. This widow who is poor and helpless and powerless and abandoned with no relationship with the judge is nothing like us. Jesus says, matter of fact, we're totally different. To this unjust judge, this widow was just a number. She was just a nuisance. She was a problem. He, she was not a priority to this unjust man. But Jesus says, in my courtroom, you are not a problem at all. You're not a number. You're not a problem. You're important. He calls us his chosen ones. You're my sons, you're my daughters, and you matter to me. Your needs are important to me. And when they are brought before this judge, not only do I listen to you, but I answer them quickly. Now here at Westridge, I have a, a deal that I have worked out with my ministry assistant, Judy Marshall, that no matter who I'm meeting with, no matter who I'm on the phone with, no matter if I'm studying on Monday or Wednesday or whatever that looks like, if Taylor, Zachary, Amy, or my mom call, I don't care who I'm meeting with, I'm talking to them. I will erupt anything that's going on to take a phone call with, from them because they are absolute priority in my life. And that's the same way that God looks at you, all right? No matter what's going on around him, no matter what he's doing, when it comes to the issue of prayer, he is listening to you. He is, when you come to him with a righteous heart, he is listening to you. He is not the unjust judge. The unjust judge in the story was unrighteous. He was unfair. He was disrespectful. He was uncaring. God is described in the Bible as righteous, as just, as holy, and as a God who cares about the needs of his children. And so the ultimate reason that Jesus tells this story in the first place is to encourage us to come to him in prayer and to not give up coming. Jesus knew that he was going to be leaving the earth soon. He knew that his followers were going to face some difficult times. He knew that they were going to go through suffering. He knew that they were going to go through persecution. And so to help them not to lose heart, to help them not to give up, he told them, he says, pray. I want you to pray. Jesus says, if you will pray, I will listen. If you will pray, I will answer. Now, why did Jesus feel like it was so important for his followers to continue to pray? What exactly happens when we pray? Well, here we go. First of all, 
it connects us, prayer connects us to the very heart of God. Now, this widow in the story literally wore this judge out until she finally connected to his heart. She finally connected to his senses. Listen, even though God wants us to come to him over and over and over in prayer, we don't have to wear him down to get to his heart. The thought that somehow or another we have got to picket the throne room of God or that we have got to pester God into, into submission is based upon false teaching. Prayer is about connecting us to the heart of God. It's about an ongoing intimate relationship with God. Tony Evans, who is one of my favorite teachers, says that prayer is a regular commitment with God in which committed believers develop an intimate fellowship with their Father. In other words, we were created for intimacy with God. We were created in His image to have fellowship with Him, to have an ongoing relationship with Him. So when we believe the myth that we don't need to pray because either God is either too busy or he's, you know, has it all figured out, so why bother him or that he's uncaring, then we eliminate the very means that God has given us to have intimacy with him. Prayer goes way, way beyond just having our needs met. It connects us to the heart of God. Now, for those of you who are in this room and you're married or even if you're not married and you are, you know, you have friends or maybe you're engaged or whatever that looks like, you've probably heard before that most problems in any relationship occur because of a lack of communication. Most problems that occur in a marriage, if you were to get into the reason why somebody got divorced, they will tell you that it, was a poor, it started as a lack of, of, of communication, poor communication. Matter of fact, most problems in life are a result of poor communication. Communication is vital to relationships. You cannot know the heart of someone unless there's communication. You cannot work through problems in a relationship unless two people sit down and honestly work through it with communication. You can't have genuine intimacy with someone unless there's communication. And so prayer, communication with God, connects us to his heart. It helps us to understand his character. It helps us to to understand his ways and his thoughts. Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. And so prayer helps us to understand the heart of God when maybe the answers to his prayers don't make sense to us. When maybe he answers in a way that is different than how we prayed. It helps us to, to not buy into the idea that he's unjust and uncaring, but instead it helps me to realize that what I have instead is a very loving and caring father who I get the opportunity to serve, who I get the opportunity to talk to, who, to have an intimate, close relationship with. The second thing it does is it helps us to not dis- get discouraged and give up. If you were to look at my prayer journal um, any time from June 24th, through the entire year of 2005, you will see moments where I just, in desperation, was saying to God, Lord, I just don't know if I can handle this anymore. Um, if you've been here for a long period of time, you know that um, in the month of June in 2004, my dad was killed in a very tragic accident. He was on our staff. He and I were very close. And um, I, I just wrote on more than one occasion, I, I God, I don't even know why I'm praying to you because obviously you just do whatever you want. This is called confessions of a pastor because I'm a very real person. And I just, many times in my mind, even though I knew it was wrong thinking, I knew that scripture was, was you know, opposite of what I was feeling in my weakness, I felt that somehow or another, 
God was this unjust judge in the story of Luke. He was very uncaring and, and that nothing he was doing was making any sense to me. And what many of you don't know is that in the year of 2005, there were a lot of other things going on in my life. I was um, trying to lead this church through uh, a building campaign called Time to Build. We were trying to raise about $9 million. We were also at the same time building this building that we're in at this moment, 100,000 square foot building. I'd never built a building before. I'd never even raised money like that before. And I was trying to do that in the midst of a lot of grief. What you also don't know is that we had some staff issues that were going on. Some of you are aware of some of those issues. Some of you are not aware, and I'm not going to go into it, but there was some craziness going on with my staff that I was desperately trying to navigate through. We had some people issues going on. There was a group of people in our church that were trying to stir some things up and create a case against me and trying to take people out of the church, trying to create a split. And I was trying to, to, to navigate through that as well. More than anything, I was just trying to help my mom just to work through her grief. I was trying to help my two brothers to work through their grief and, and my, my brother Kevin's family. I mean, I just felt like the world was on my shoulders and I'm just, I was just trying to navigate through all of this. And there were just many, many times where I was just saying, Lord, I can't do this anymore. And in the summer of 2005, um, if it were not for um, my wife, Amy, and uh, probably a couple different people, Jeff Brewer, Matt Wilmington to some degree, and others, um, I probably would have resigned from this church. And I was just that close. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I typed that letter out in my mind on my computer. And I had a, I mean, I was all ready to go buy lawn equipment and just start a lawn care business. That's my out. And, um, but I just kept coming back to God in prayer. I didn't know what else to do, but I just kept anchoring myself in truth and I just kept praying. And I said, Lord, you know what? I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know. I feel like the gates of hell are coming against me. But Lord, I just am gonna keep coming to you because it's all I know to do. And I'm just gonna keep flooding myself with truth. And as I would do that, as I would just continue to get up and just force myself to pray and force myself to read scripture, God just kept ministering and he would just keep bringing things that I learned as a child back to my mind, experiences that I had. Psalm chapter 145, verse 18. I just remember, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Psalm 34, 18, which just ministered to me greatly during that time. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And he would remind me of a verse that my dad taught me when I was a freshman in college and I was going through a broken heart. Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven, where it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, just present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your, guard, and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other, in other words, when you feel stressed and you feel worried and you feel like you're ready to give up and that you can't take it anymore, we need to pray. We need to come to the Lord in prayer. Because prayer will bring on the peace of God, which blows past our ability to understand, which blows past our emotions and our feelings that sometimes are anchored in untruth. And it will just guard our heart and it will guard our mind. And I could just, during that time, just imagine in my mind that God, through my hurts, through my heartaches, through those moments where I felt like quitting, that moments where I just felt like walking away, I just felt like he was surrounding my emotions as I was praying, as I was just immersing myself in truth, as I was right in my journal. And I felt like he was just physically taking his hands and putting it around my emotions. 
and around my heart and just saying, just keep moving forward. I'm gonna carry you through this. I'm gonna calm your spirit. I'm gonna calm your mind. And God would just bring the right people at the right time who just would walk right next to me through that time. And I learned what I already knew, but I learned it in a great way that prayer helps you not to get discouraged. And when you are discouraged, it helps you not to give up. The third thing it does is that it is God's chosen method for meeting our needs. C.H. Spurgeon said, who was a great pastor in London, once said, he said, God never shuts his storehouses until you shut your mouth. See, the thing that you might need in your life right now more than anything else You may be lacking because you're not praying. You may have a marital issue right now. You're ready to throw in the towel. You've just stopped praying. You're not praying at all about it. You're trying to change your husband. You're trying to change your wife. And you're realizing that it's not working. And maybe the reason it's not working is because you're not praying. You have a job situation. You've been out of work for months or the job that you have is just sucking the life out of you and and you've tried everything in your own power and nothing is working. What about prayer? Maybe it's a child situation. I mean, you have, you have tried everything. You have applied scripture. You have just, you, I mean, everything. But yet, maybe you're not praying. And maybe it's just a, an emotional issue. You're battling depression. You're battling anxiety. You're battling some kind of dependency. Can I tell you, prayer can set you free. Prayer can connect to the heart of God and to come along where Jesus engages your situation and helps to set you free. Listen, I'm not telling you that God is some genie in a bottle that you just rub when you need something or he's some kind of magic fairy that grants a wish every time you call on him, but he has made some promises to us in regards to our needs as it relates to our prayer lives. Matter of fact, in John chapter 14 through chapter 16, Jesus is teaching us Uh, teaching his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he's telling them about the importance of relying on the Holy Spirit's power, not only to live in this world, but to stay intimately connected to the Father. Because again, he knew that when he left, they were going to go through just a tremendously difficult time. He knew that that 2,000 years later, we would be going through a difficult time. And he says six times in those three chapters, he says, If you will ask in my name, I will answer. In December 1997, um, we were a church that was four months old. And uh, we were meeting at a little elementary school up the road called Vaughn Elementary School. Some of you were with us during that time. We had been reaching about 140 to 200 people. And we had a lot of people coming to Christ, a lot of new believers. And... um, we basically ran out of money. We came down to the end of the year. We had $22 in the bank. And um, we had three full-time staff members, me, Dave, Steve. Paul was bivocational at the time. I tell people we had three and a half staff members. Um, and we ran out of money. And the last Sunday of that year, I remember, was the lowest attended Sunday we had ever had. It was also the lowest giving morning that we had ever had in the history of our church. And I remember, what, you know, when that offering came in... Um, I, I took it and we paid the bills that we had, the school, the electric bill, and some other things that we had going on. And we were at $22 and I think about 20 cents. Matter of fact, I still have the, the deposit slip in the upper um, right-hand drawer of my desk to remind me of the story I'm about to tell you. We got into that moment and um, I was truly discouraged. And I was thinking, Lord, have you ha- just taken your hand off of us? 
I mean, have we done something? Is someone in sin? Have you left us? I mean, I'm looking for anyone, you know. I'm, I'm scouring my staff. I'm looking at Amy, Amy. Amy, are you in sin? No, she's not in sin. And I mean, I'm, I'm going through the list because I'm just going, God, what is going on here? Because I feel like you've just taken your hand off of us. It's like you've left us. The last day of the year, um, I woke up and I was desperate. I had been praying all week long. Amy had been praying. My team had been praying. And um, I said, Lord, today's the day. You've got to do something because... I, I can't pay anyone. And I mean, we had just, we were just barely living. I mean, we set our salary right at poverty level just to get this church off the ground. And um, the last day of the year, I, I went about 12 o'clock. I went to our little shipping box in Hiram, opened up the door. There was a check for 40 in there, a check for 60. And I was trying to be thankful. Lord, thank you for this, but it's not going to cut it. And um, through the rest of the day, it just seemed like with every minute, I just got more and more discouraged. And so I was driving home from our office. Our offices for the first five, six months were in Steve's parents' basement. And um, I was driving back to our little apartment in Lithia Springs. And um, I called Amy on the phone, my cell phone. That's back when cell phone minutes were like $3 a minute. You had to talk real fast like this. Amy, I'm coming home right now, so please. And, um, and I told her, I said, Amy, I, I'm just down. I'm, I'm so discouraged. I think this is one of the lowest moments of my whole life. And she just said, Brian... God is faithful. We're just going to keep praying and we're going to watch him do something miraculous. And I'm thinking, I don't know. I'm just having a true moment with you. And um, all of a sudden I hung up the phone and a few moments later the phone rang again and it was an older gentleman who didn't go to our church. And he said, hey, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm driving home to my apartment. He said, listen, can you turn your car around and come back and uh, I want to talk to you for a moment. Now I'm sitting here thinking, Lord, the last thing I need at this moment is an older person telling me how they don't like our church because we don't sing hymns, I don't wear a suit, and it's too loud. <laughs> oh. So I got, turned my car around, drove out to his house, and I sat down across from he and his wife. And um, he said to me, he said, listen, he said, um, you know that we don't attend Westridge. And um, he said, if y'all would sing a few more hymns and, and maybe, if, and I went, oh, Lord, please, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a bridge here at a moment. Um, and he said, in the next breath, he said, but I wanna tell you um, that we truly appreciate what God is doing through you and we're so glad that God brought you to this community because two of our daughters and their kids and husbands are going to your church and we've just seen some amazing things happen. And, and so we just wanna bless you and he leaned over and gave me an envelope and he said, go ahead and open it up. And I opened it up and inside was a check for $30,000. Now, I immediately started crying. I know that may seem hard for some of you to believe. And um, they were crying, which made me cry even more. And... Um, they prayed over me and I got in my car and I drove out their long driveway onto this old country road and I pulled my car, my car over on the side of the road and I just buried my head in the steering wheel and I said, God, I will never doubt you again. I will never allow myself to get this discouraged. I will never, ever believe the lie that you have taken your hand off of us. And I, Lord, from here on out, I'm just gonna completely just trust you. And I wish I could tell you that I have been that good but moments I haven't been quite that good and yet God just showed himself to be so faithful at that moment 
Why? Because we just prayed. We just prayed. And if you were here at that church during the time, you know, we tithed off that money and God allowed us to start a church in India and it began a whole thing of getting connected with church planting. That's where all of that began. And I look back on that moment and I go, Lord, you just, just, I just look at life, more points in my life where I was desperate, there was nothing. And we prayed and you came through. And through that, I just was reminded of James chapter five or 16, where it says, the prayers of a righteous man is powerful and effective. God loves meeting our needs, but he's chosen prayer as his method to accomplish that. And then ultimately prayer demonstrates our faith in God. Luke chapter 8, verse 8, 18, verse 8, the very end of this, it says, however, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He asks the question. And Jesus is saying that prayer is an act of faith. It is saying to God, I trust you. Does God know the outcome of things? Yes, he does. I am a sovereigntist. I believe that God, he knows what's going to happen. But should I pester him until he answers? No. Does that, what does that mean when the Bible says pray without ceasing? Why does the Bible ask me to pray in earnest for things, in desperation? Because not only does God want us to be intimate with him and to be connected with his heart, but he wants to know, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you believe I can do it? Do you believe that I'm interested in meeting your needs? Do you believe that I care about the, even the littlest, tiniest details of your life? God doesn't ask us to pester him as if he's some kind of unjust, uncaring judge, but he does want us to passionately and persistently bring our cares and concerns before him because ultimately prayer says to him, my coming to you at this moment And my coming to you over and over and over again with this issue says to you that I believe in you and that I trust you. And what I am doing at this moment, Lord, is an act of worship. It is saying to you that my life is in your hands. I don't have all the answers. And even though you may not answer in the way that I pray, it's not because you're listening. And even though your answer may be no when I passionately want a yes, doesn't mean that you are unconcerned or that you are an uncaring God. All it means is that you know everything and that you see the beginning from the end. And Lord, in your wisdom, when you choose maybe to answer differently or even if you delay the answer to the prayer or even if I don't understand how you answer, Lord, I can trust you. And prayer demonstrates our faith. It says, God, I am dependent upon you. I need you. I trust you. Again, my life is in your hands. And some of you today are in this place and you're desperate. You're at the end of your rope and you have tried everything you know to do except to get on your knees and to cry out to God and say, Lord, this is in your hands. I'm trusting you. Sometimes I have it in my mind that you get prayer. And I have to remind myself that sometimes I don't even completely get it. And sometimes I think that maybe all of you are praying. And then we take a church survey and I realize that very few of you are praying. And I watch what happens in your life. And I watch sometimes what even I'm going through. And I realize this powerful tool that God has given us that we so rarely take advantage of. 
in a way that God asks us to. And I realize that as a church, sometimes we are missing out, not only collectively, but individually, on this power that God wants to give us because of the death of Jesus and what he accomplished and the power of the Holy Spirit and how prayer connects us to those things. And some of you are dealing with marital issues and you are trying everything in your power to fix it. And yet, you're neglecting to pray and to connect to the power of God that way to engage him into your situation. Some of you are having, as I said, issues with your kids and you've not, you're not desperately on your knees saying, God, engage. I'm desperate, I can't. Some of you are having issues with health and I know you're praying because God's brought you to that place. But are you engaging others around you and saying, I need everybody. I'm gonna open myself up. I'm gonna open this issue up because I need people involved with me here a job situation. I know some of you are praying, some of you are desperate, but many, many of you are not. And yet nothing of eternal significance happens apart from it. Not that prayer is magical, but it connects us to the very heart of God. It demonstrates our faith. It's his method that he's given us for connecting our needs with his answers. And we have got to become powerful praying church and asking God to help us especially during this time I want you to bow your head for just a moment I in a crowd this size I'm always aware of the fact that there's at least one person in here that has never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to be their savior And so as we close um, this part of our service, here's what I want to do. I want to give you, if that is you, an opportunity to come to Jesus, to repent of your sins, and to come into a relationship with him. And I want to tell you just briefly that Jesus loved you enough to die on a cross for your sins. God loves you enough to send his son to do that for you because you couldn't do it on your own. Your sins separate you from God and it puts you in a very, very difficult place. Separated from God with no way to get from here to heaven. And Jesus laid his life down for you to pay for your sins. And by putting your faith and trust in him alone and by asking him for forgiveness, repenting of those sins, you can know Jesus in a personal way. So just right now, if that's you, pray that prayer. Ask Jesus, come to him at this very moment. Put your faith and trust in him alone. Ask for forgiveness. And become a child of God. Lord, as I hope many are doing that at this very moment, we want to take this moment and just pray over those who are maybe in this church that are struggling. And I want to pray, Father, that at this very moment that they would speak to you, maybe in a way that um, you've not heard them in a long time. Maybe it's been days, weeks, months since they've come to you with their needs, with the needs of others, 
with maybe just a prayer of confession at this moment. Maybe praying on behalf of someone else. Or maybe just connecting with your heart. And so let's just take a moment as a church, if we could, and I want us just to pray. And you let the Holy Spirit lead you in how you do that and what you pray for. Father, engage us at this very moment, we pray in Jesus' name.